what do you need to have in your team uh, for a healthy team environment, a healthy, uh, what's the right word? Just a healthy environment. Is it weekly meetings, bi-weekly mm. or? Yeah. Well, it depends. So I guess one side doesn't fit all, but I find uh, having meetings uh, for the sake of meeting is probably not helpful. And, yeah. and there are quite a few meetings out there that could be shorter, could be more, more impactful. Uh, and other meetings that just there for the leaders to, to for them to feel better because they created space. They think they created space for others. So or what others think about it. What I find is uh, which when I when I coach executives um, in executive space, really, time is scarce and, and how to fit those, I suppose, meetings with a team in, in a schedule. Um, and that was an interesting concept, but like I said, well, would you need to fit everything else around that because your team is more important than everything else? Kind of just thinking from that perspective. Awesome. I'm here with Slavin. Slavin, thanks for coming on to Getting Mental. How you doing? Yeah, good. Luke, thanks. Thanks for inviting me to be here. That's okay. I wanted to start with your your name, Slavin. What's the the background there? <laughs> um, yeah, you, you wouldn't be surprised how many times I hear that. Croatia. So mm -hmm. I'm originally yeah, born in Croatia, but been in Australia quite some time. Awesome. Cool. And um, so you you say you're born in Australia? Uh, no, I was born in Croatia. So, and uh, you probably um, hear like more longer I speak, the accent comes out. So, I can't hide it. Yeah. And have you been to Croatia recently, or have you did you visit, or not really? Yeah. So, uh, I still have a family in Croatia, and I, and I go there uh, probably every three years. So, perhaps now with pandemic, the recent pandemic, that kind of. A little bit different, but yeah, certainly be there. And uh, uh, I mean, when I moved to Australia some time ago, Croatia was so unknown, but now it's uh, one of the destinations that, as soon as I mentioned, everyone knows about it. So uh, it's definitely a good place. So yeah, I I do try to go there every three years if I can. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So I want to start with your story, like uh, where it all begin for you. You know, you can start any point you want. Um, but how'd you get to where you are right now? And I guess, what do you do right now? And, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll start yeah, with that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good start. I thought it might, might be a good start to kind of when I moved to Australia, I suppose, because it's almost like restarting from scratch. So I got here to study English, uh, some time ago, uh, and, uh, I took one year and paid and. I liked it so much that I decided to stay. So, and went there through the process, applied for uh, permanent residency, citizenship, and all that. It was it was it was great experience, and I, and I was in love with Brisbane from a day one. And this is kind of why I stay here all the time. Um, but Brisbane has definitely changed in in a few years. So, um, so yeah, um, I guess. One memory that I have from there is that when I moved to Brisbane. It was not really good coffee anyway, so in Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that was kind of a bit, bit surprised. You need to kind of know places where to go for good coffee. That's completely changed now, obviously, it's big co co coffee culture. But, yeah, uh, that kind of that was one of the things that I probably 
was a little bit disappointed with. Mm. I got over it. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I, I moved to, to, to Australia, I kind of started from scratch. So uh, uh, was studying here. So I moved in, in financial services, work for uh, one of the largest banks here uh, in in uh, managing stockbroking division here in, in Queensland. So that was uh, at the end uh, uh, before I decided to venture in some other areas and uh, where I'm now in, in leadership and executive coaching. Beautiful. And that, that big bank was Commonwealth Bank, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was with Bank for uh, nine, uh, just over nine years. Uh, um, a great, great experience. Uh, I, I learned a lot and, and uh, potentially I wouldn't be able to do what I do today if it's not for that experience as well. Mm, and how many people were you managing? Well, directly we we had um, uh, 50 people uh, sort of um, it was in a metric style, so they spread across the state. So um, when I started the role, uh, it was a more as a business development role. Um, I got laptop and a phone, and my manager told me, I just go in Queensland and do whatever you think is going to work. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I did. So like, it grows substantially. So it's a really good experience. And um, big learning curve for me, like very big learning curve, sort of getting in, in a known area um, spread across the state. But, yeah, I, when I think about it, I wouldn't do it any other way either. So I um, mm. have that entrepreneurial spirit. So that approach just to make it happen and really work for me. Yeah, and I think that's with business, right? Like you have to have that mindset. When you jump into something, it's like I don't know all the – A's, B's, C's, and D's, but I'm just going to give it a shot anyway, right? Well, yeah, and like it's starting business is not easy. Like anyone who started business, <laughs> you have to be you have to be crazy. Yeah, and uh, it's just kind of uh, it's not doesn't sit well for everyone. So there's mm. so much risk associated and need to mitigate it. Um, and I mean, there are some people who who done it really well from the start, and those are lucky ones. Yep. But people I talk to is you learn, you know, like you make mistakes, you, you try things, they're not working, and, and you're learning from it. And um, I, I, as I said, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. But yeah, yeah, there's there are nights where you're kind of just thinking about it and sometimes even questioning sort of why did I get myself into? But yeah, yep. it's not perseverance. Yeah. You have to be a little bit crazy to do business, I think. You know, like there's going to be a few screws loose in the head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, I get connected with the business community uh, in the Queensland. That's where I base quite a bit. And I do uh, actually a couple of presentations to business community lately. And you see all these entrepreneurs. And, and there's a kind of that one streak as well kind of. Uh, I'm not sure if it's craziness, how would you call it, but there's kind of that streak that uh, you just want to give it a go and uh, and not give it a go once, but kind of try things. They're not working, reinventing yourself, try different things. And mm -hmm. I can see those people just coming back all the time. That's it, it's perseverance, right? Um, but hey, I want to talk about leadership. So 
what what is leadership to you first and foremost? You mentioned that you were you were managing um, across Australia fifty people. So I guess we can start with like, what is leadership to you? Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> that's a very a very interesting question. So um, I teach postgraduate courses, and uh, uh, and our, one of our first, uh, I suppose, lecture was about defining leadership, what it means. And, Mm. Uh, there's so many definitions out there. I think uh, what it means to me it might be very different to different people. It's just so such a broad concept in the area. But for me, it's about inspiration, inspiring others to follow the vision that you see. And um, I, don't know, I, I would define it sort of that way. It's kind of fairly loose definition, but it's really... Uh, Inspiring others can mean different things. Can mean being support. Uh, can be um, my leadership is definitely more like a servant leadership. Uh, uh, what was that? Sorry, servant servant leadership. Servant but, leadership. Yeah. Okay. It's just, what does uh, that mean? Being, yeah, being there for others and being there. Uh, I suppose. Um, when we think about achieving anything um, or any goal, any objective, uh, we need a people. Being a leader, you can't do all, all that by yourself. Uh, so other people involved there. So uh, inspire them and being there for them. Um, for example, what do you need to succeed ultimately means that leaders succeed as well if everyone on the team shows some kind of success. So I lost my train of thought there. So you're talking about servant leadership. So mm. that means you're at service to the people that you work for. So rather than like, and just tell me if I'm wrong here, but rather than you being like, everyone follow my rules, like one, two, three, do this. You're like, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? Is that an accurate representation of that? Uh, yeah, very much, very spot on. It's because um, uh, I guess I consider everyone that I work with uh, if they're adult, to be adult. And I think uh, people can make decisions and choices and accountability mm. by empowering them and enabling them. Uh, like in my personal view and what I experience through my work is it's really building that self-efficacy and accountability and even motivation because not many of us like to be told what to do. I think we innately have that aversion as soon as someone tells us that we need to or must do something like, you know, we lose motivation, if anything, perhaps trying to do something else. So empowering people and what do you need to succeed? Uh, like, you know, that's my approach. And in, in my coaching business, that's what we explore with other leaders as well. Mm. So what do you do instead then of telling someone what to do? Yeah, I, I ask them, like, it's a very simple sort of uh, turning it other way around. Mm. I mean, in any any organisation, wherever you are, it means obviously certain, uh, I suppose, goals. There is a reason everyone is there. And, and uh, so I think sometimes people don't understand what's their position, what I'm here to do, uh, you know, what's my purpose as a team, as an individual. Um, and I think getting a bit beyond that surface and really engaging in a conversation. So this is what we need to do. What do you think you need to do to get there? 
what support do you need? Are there any, I suppose, skill gaps or whatever that might be to help you get there? Mm, so it sounds like it's not just purely, you know, uh, your communication style, but it's also, like you mentioned some questions there, which I, I acknowledge, but it's also got to do with awareness from a logistical point of view of like what people are doing. So mm. I'm going to go ahead and assume and tell me if I'm wrong here, it's going to be, so first and foremost, there needs to be like, here are your roles, like here's what you're, and I'm, I'm stripping it back all the way because someone who's out there listening right now who is, you know, just starting a business and they've got maybe, you know, three or four people in their team or maybe they've got 15, 20, I think that one of the key things that might be missing is that they don't create proper KPIs and updating, you know, what that person is supposed to be doing. So it starts there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, clarity, uh, it's so important that, and that comes under the umbrella of communication um, it's not about what we say, it's about what people on the other side, uh, what message they take away. So we can, uh, in our mind, be so clear and concise, but uh, a good way to do that is confirm with the individual, are you on the same page? Um, I mean, uh, reverting back to my students, when I deliver lecture, quite often when we talk about self-awareness, which is part of leadership, uh, which is important factor for leadership we um um and i just put in a perspective you know say well i might say the same sentence to all of you each of you might perceive it differently or understand it differently so because we have uh, some um i suppose prior knowledge prior concept of particular topic and fit that uh, whatever we hear uh, or, or, or see, we try to fit that with with existing concepts, and that could influence how we perceive the message. Uh, so yeah, that clarity on the leadership side, uh, it, it's so important, and not just assuming that people might get the right message, but checking with them all the time. Mm, okay then, and what if someone on the team? And let's get in the, the, the roots here. What if someone on the team doesn't feel like they can share that they don't understand something because they want to be perceived as incompetent or they want to be perceived mm-hmm. as like, uh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, right? What, what? I know that's probably a trust thing. I understand there's probably things you can do to build trust, but what does one do in that situation? If there's a leader out there watching right now and it's like, what do I do about someone who I know they're struggling, but I don't want to force that I know that onto them. I want them to come to me and like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, yeah, yeah I'm mm-hmm. fine, I'm fine. They keep mm-hmm. making mistakes. What, is, what does one do with that in general? Hmm. Um, well, normally it's that lack of, lack of psychological safety when people in a, in a work environment feel invited to share and feel comfortable to make mistakes. So, so expecting that um, every single person, every single time, going to do 100% right everything, it's quite unhelpful. So, um, and, and creating that message. So, uh, we're here to do our best, and it's okay if people make mistake. I mean, we don't plan for it, but if those things happen, so people don't feel uncomfortable about it. And with, with some people, that might uh, maybe different approach. It's usually having those like candid one-on-one conversation because it's not just work environment. Perhaps a person, one particular person in team might not feel that way because of their experience in a previous workplace 
or perhaps um, in environment they are outside of work, maybe in their family, friends. So take that into consideration as well. It, it, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and I think leaders need to put like conscious effort to, to create a space, as, as you mentioned, as you noted, trust. So people don't trust that whatever they bring in a conversation, that's not going to be judged from any other, I suppose, perspective, their other how to help them and put them back on the right track. They're not going to share, man. They just can't keep that for themselves and uh, and potentially struggle along the way. Mm, so I'm hearing trust. I'm hearing clarity. These are all things that you know we thrive as humans. So it's almost like leadership is the act of learning or knowing human nature, right? Yeah, and uh, actually, just uh, this morning at LinkedIn, like there was really good um, uh, uh, marketing from one of Belgian um, employment agency uh, Impact. They had big billboard where um, they had chat GDP. Can you finish my work? And uh, it was big building that half finished. It's a kind of really good marketing. Yeah. Perspective and it, um, and that instinct me started. I suppose got me thinking about leadership as well. So, um, uh, like ChatGDP or any AI is going to be part of it, but that means that uh, leaders then can move towards a more human interaction, relationship, trust building. And, and for leaders to do that, they need to reinvent themselves all the time, sort of being complacent and just think how we led people five years or 10 years ago is going to be relevant. The next five years might not be uh, unhelpful, not for leaders, uh, not for people that they lead as well. So, yeah, it could, I, I guess ongoing exploration of uh, asking ourselves who I'm uh, who I'm as a leader here, what I'm trying to do, what's my purpose, and how my purpose might or might not align with people I'm leading. Mm, okay. So, what, and we can go into the more specifics of that as well, but I'm, I'm wondering what are the, from an operations point of view, what, what would one do? Like, let's say, for example, uh, would you have like weekly meetings? Would you do daily meetings? I know it's different for every circumstance, but generally mm. speaking, and I, I heard before about, um, you know, you want to make your team feel safe to make mistakes. Now, I've certainly made that mistake myself, which is like trying to be perfectionist and making my team be that way as well. And I see that I see that as, a, as an issue. Um, but, I, but I wonder, like, obviously, operationally, you need to have systems in place to then, you know, when that mistake happens, which inevitably will, you need to have mechanisms there, like uh, something there to, to stop that. But I wonder from... Speaking about mechanisms and operations, what do you need to have in your team uh, for a healthy team environment? A healthy, uh, what's the right word? Just a healthy environment. Is it weekly meetings, bi-weekly? Mm. Or yeah, you- well, it depends. I guess one side doesn't fit all, but I find uh, having meeting for the sake of meeting is probably not helpful. And yeah, and there are quite a few meetings out there that. Could be shorter, could be more more impactful, uh, and 
Are there meetings that just there for the leaders to, to for them to feel better because they created space? They think they created space for others. So, or what others think about it? What I find is, which uh, when I when I coach executives um, in executive space, really, time is scarce, and and how to fit those I suppose meetings with a team in in a schedule. Um, and that was an interesting concept, but like I said, well, would you need to fit everything else around that because your team is more important than everything else? Kind of just thinking from that perspective. Yeah. Um, but what, what I find, and, and quite a few leaders that I speak to find that are making it those one-on-one one really impactful and, and potentially and are narrowing down to I suppose three simple segments, right? That are making a half an hour, one hour catch up. Sometimes even ten minutes once a week, or fifteen minutes once a fortnight, just to ask, I suppose, three simple questions. So, what are you working on? What's getting in the way? And what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. That's great. That's really powerful. Because, I, and what I'm hearing there so far, we talked about you know building trust and. Clarity, and I think clarity equals trust, right? But we can go through mm. those ones. And thirdly, being intentional is what I'm mm. hearing as well. Mm. Because like you said, like people kind of get off on like, oh, like I look, I'm, I'm doing a weekly meeting. How good of a leader am I? Or like mm. I'm scheduling a, a you know, 30-minute meeting with all my, my staff. And we get in the meeting, it's like, so uh, how's things for you? What I'm hearing is intentionality. So you could do like a 15-minute meeting each week and ask those three questions, which were what again, sorry? What are you struggling with what are you yeah what um, are you working on uh yeah. what's getting in a way and yeah. uh what do you need from me mm. and why are those three questions are most important out of all the questions one can ask yeah um well like you really get down to to like you know main purpose of having one-on-one sort of you want to know as a leader what, what the person is working on what's one or two things that are the most important things of them and they might not cover everything, and that's perfectly fine. And you want to kind of get sense, like you know, where they spend the most time uh, in a week or whatever that might be, and what's getting in a way. So, and this is where kind of, uh, I suppose, we identify areas that need need uh, improvement or support. Uh, sometimes that might be, well, I'm working on this project, but I might. Like you know, seems like I don't have a skill in this area. So how we can organize perhaps uh, training and upskill in this area? Just one example. So it's, it's a very, I guess, simple solution. And uh, and what do you need from me? It, uh, I guess that goes back to that servant leadership and and a purpose of leadership. Well, well, I'm I'm not here just to have one on one, but how can I support you to be successful? So mm. what do you need for me to, to move a dial to help you move to the next level or whatever that might be? Mm. And, um, it, it's, it's a very short to cover, uh, cover different areas. What I find sometimes making it shorter makes both, uh, if it's one-on-one, everyone more intentional. Because yes. we've we got 15 minutes. Let's really spend a time and think what I'm going to bring into this 15 minutes. So we're not going to get unprepared because we know we can't talk Mess around. around. Yeah, yeah. Talk mm. around the issue for like a 10 or 15 minutes and, and finally come to some kind of, I suppose, goal or solution or whatever that might be. And it might take a time. So yeah, it makes 
both parties more intentional. Mm. So when I uh, was working back in 2000, I think it was 18 or 19, one of the two, and I was working at this um, uh, luxury bathroom where so I was a sales and marketing manager there. And uh, I had asked my uh, boss, I'm like, hey, I'd love, uh, I'd love to get some more training on sales stuff. I've got this specific course that I'd love to do. Um, are you, can we work something out? You know, it was a, it's a startup business. And he said to me like, oh, we don't, we don't pay for that. If you want to upskill to bring more profit in, then you need to do that yourself. Mm. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, how did you feel about like when you, when you got that? Um, well for me, like, and you know, to be super broad, um, my model of thinking about the world is much more geared towards how would you say uh individualistic in the sense that everything that happens i'm responsible for so like i kind of resonated with that but mm-hmm. at the same time if i so you know i have a business now and i i have training for my staff and i want to give them everything they need to perform their best they can mm-hmm. but i also see the flip side which is that when one has all the tools that they need and maybe i'm wrong here this is just my assumption so far then sometimes there can be some complacency. There's no like, mm-hmm. there's no, uh, nothing to push against. It's like mm-hmm. everything's like, I'll give everything for you, like everything you need. And it's like, well, what's the motivation then to get better? Because mm-hmm. it's all there, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I felt both. I felt like kind of like, oh, that, that sucks. But at the same time, like, that's fair enough. If I can bring yeah. more money in, that's more sales then. So yeah, mm-hmm. that was my thought process around it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to hear that. Like, and it's everyone is individual. And I, and I guess approaching uh, or one side fits all in in a team that can be quite counterproductive because then we start assuming that everyone is the same, everyone responds to the same thing. Um, well, it, it depends. I, I guess with with upskill, we see in any organisation nowadays there's so many available resources. Perhaps let's say ten years ago it was so scarce. Now there's so many that people get overwhelmed. I guess it's putting, uh, I suppose, accountability on the individual. So there is skills, there are all, all that available, but they need to choose. If they're going to enroll in any course just because the leader or manager told them to do, like and pro- it will probably take them some time to do it. But, and then that comes to perhaps really good one-on-one conversations sort of like, what do you need to to do to be better in your role? Mm. Mm. And a car, sorry, yeah, go for it. Yeah, and 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 I go from there. So rather than let's say you 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 asked, you know, which is uh, well, I suppose this is the area where we want to get every team member into to identify some of the areas they want to improve, rather than be told what they need to do. Um, but yeah, so what I'm getting with it, I think with any, any area of, of self-improvement and even in, in a workplace, um, when we make our own choices, we commit to it. So, um, you make commitment, like in your case, because you show interest in it. So, uh, and if it's a different situation, if your uh, then uh, manager told you to do something that you're not interested in it, you know, we're not motivated to do it. 
So it is that two-way conversation, ongoing conversation and identifying those opportunities and skill gap or whatever that might be. Yeah, I think that's a huge point you bring up then. The, the message I hear underneath that is that when it comes to personal development or it comes to, I mean, anything in life that involves advice or upskilling and improving, people are so nuanced that, you know, and this is a disclaimer for anyone listening as well. It's like things are so nuanced that this is just general advice and it's inspiration for one to choose and pick ideas and like, oh, I'm going to try that or this, this, this triggers this side of me and this makes me think of this. And that's why it's so important. And this is my experience to have a coach, right? Like I've got three coaches for different areas in my life because, and when you read a book, right? And I think anyone who's read a book can agree with this, myself included, is that you read a book and like you you become so attached to that way of doing it, right? It's like, oh, like this book, one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, I'm gonna do every one of those steps. And if you're like a, a highly uh, conscientious person, you're like, boom, 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 boom. You do it all and you realize like that doesn't work for me you know, because it feels mm. rigid, it feels weird. So the message that I'm hearing there as well, and tell me if this is, is accurate, uh, extraction from that is it's important to understand the nuances of people and situations. Like that circumstance I ex- explained with my boss in the past won't necessarily apply to someone else because someone might be different. They might be mm. waiting for someone to coach them, I mean, whereas I wanted to do it, right? So mm. I, I hear that nuance. Is that an accurate assumption of what you said? Oh, yeah, very much so. As a leader, I suppose you need to know your people um, and uh, uh, just assuming or creating space for people to, uh, like, you know, our view as a leader. And I've been there, like we all learn uh, from our experiences. Um, uh, People like to have a choice. And I think if you create a space where they make a choice, what's suitable for them, like how to approach it, um, it is more productive because um, ideally everyone in, in one team or people are different and, and there is benefit in having different people in a team. But assuming that everyone needs uh, exactly the same thing, uh, everyone is interested in the same thing, uh, it could cause uh, quite a few problems. And potentially, like, you know, referring back when we talk about uh, why people don't feel inclined or some team members to approach leaders um, uh, um, and uh, perhaps um, share their ideas or whatever that might be or, or engage in a conversation where they haven't done something uh, like you know that the way it should be done or whatever it is. And that's because perhaps, um, and this is just my assumption, that if you have a one-size-fits-all approach, people on the other side might don't think that a leader might not understand the individual. So if they don't understand who I am or what I want, like, you know, there is no invitation for me to to share more than is necessary. Mm. And you mentioned something there like people want to feel like they have a choice, right? So I, mm. I mentioned this on a podcast previously, but there's something known as the adaption principle, right? Mm. Which is in human nature, there's many things we can adapt to. You know, you can go to all parts of human civilization from the oldest to the newest and you see that we can adapt to some pretty crazy stuff. But one of the things that science has shown us that we can't adapt to um, based on the research that I've seen at least as well, is we can't adapt to a lack of control. Hmm. Now, what that means is that we will find ways to 
feel like we have autonomy over our lives or slash control over our situations. Now, uh, a beautiful study that demonstrated this was um, they got two lots of um, elderly people from nursing homes and one lot, I'm paraphrasing the study here, but one lot of that group um, had a room that was chosen for them, set out how they want to set it out. The plants were where they were supposed to be, like this is how it was, you can't change it. The other group was able to move the things around the room and decide how their room looked and filled. Now, what they found is that those who had the autonomy to choose how their room looked and filled um, were, I don't know what the exact number was, but they're way happier than mm. the other group that had no control over that. Mm. So what that tells me and what I'm hearing from you is like when one has choice, autonomy, and you know when you frame your leadership around that, people are generally happier. When people are happier, they perform better. So then it's a win-win situation, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, spot on. Spot on. Uh, I think, well, whoever is listening to this podcast, I think most of us don't like to be with no choices. And you know, it's one option, one option only. And that, that might not be even our first option or our option at all. Um, sometimes perhaps even feel like a prison that you've got no choices. You put in this little box and, and it kind of you have to deal with it. Um, and again, uh, so autonomy, uh, choice, uh, self-efficacy theory, like, you know, not to go into details about theory, but that's like, you know, all these sort of research and theories propose that uh, when people have a choice, when they have autonomy, as you mentioned, that directly increases motivation and engagement as well, which then translates into productivity, which uh, as opposed to organization of people working organization for leaders, it's, it's quite an important factor. Mm. And how does leadership change um, from the amount of people that you're managing, like say five versus 15 versus 50 versus 100, and what changes about it and what can we learn from different numbers of people that you're managing? Of course, like it goes down and it goes different managers mm. and whatever, but mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I suppose my team now it, it's a smaller. Uh, it seems I have more. Uh, maybe that's my assumption. How wider impact or the area that I work. I guess uh, in a way, I mean, it shouldn't shouldn't change. So there, there are obviously some time constraints, and um, and I think working around that space, let's say for for larger teams. Well, um, maybe weekly one-on-one might not be suitable, but we'll work around perhaps once a fortnight, but making it tangible. I see it, 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 uh, my view, it's all about quality rather than quantity. Right. So having those quality conversation and not just to sort of tick boxes like that's done or it's finished in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, and I think people are quite reasonable. Let's say if you lead a have sort of fairly large team, obviously they understand that you can't spend uh, eight hours, uh, four days a week, or five days a week just doing one on one. So there are other things to do. And and I suppose invite others to 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 be more intentional in those one on ones, like or team meetings, to be more productive in that space. So. I guess with leaders, it's a partnership. It's mm-hmm. not kind of uh, I've got a title, so therefore uh, I have to do something different. 
I think when you, when you make people uh, more as a partner in, in that conversation, they respond better and they, they're able to accommodate and find something that works for both. Great. I love that. That's awesome. So we've spoken about clarity. We've spoken about building trust, which is, again, clarity and all these things, autonomy, inspire, uh, inspiring your team, and also um, about servant leadership, you know, serving your staff. Um, is there any circumstances and have, have you worked like with international have you had an international team before like people from uh, other countries? no um like you know now with with my i suppose with executive coaching so when i move into that space uh, i do work with quite a few leaders uh, apart from africa almost every single or every continent so it gives you exposure so so different approaches to leadership but yeah like through that yes mm. how important is it to to uh, know the culture of other countries that you're working with, because in my experience, like it's we're in Australia, we have a different culture. To and I'll I'll, I'll tell a study. This is really interesting, actually. There's a book called The Social Animal by Elliot Aronson, right? Who's a social psychologist. In this book, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing here. They did a study where they showed um, they showed Americans uh, an image. On 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 a things on a wall or something, they then showed Chinese on a wall this image as well. I don't mean Chinese as in uh, as in their race. I mean they lived in China, as in they were from China, and they lived there their whole life. And same with the Americans. And what they noticed is that with the Chinese, they noticed. And again, paraphrasing here, they noticed the more of the global view of the image. Right. Whereas the Americans notice more the individuals in the image. Now, the explanation behind that is when you go to China, they're a communist country, which is that it's more it's more about the, the whole. Like you're an individual part of the whole. Whereas in companies like a you know not companies sorry in countries like Australia, like America, like United Kingdoms, um, they're more I guess you'd say democratic for lack of better words. They are more based on the individual. Everything starts from the individual. Like Jordan Peterson always says, like the individual then outwards. You know. And they found that those two things were different for those people based on their environment. So I guess my segue to that is like people who are from overseas, um, they have different ways of seeing the world. And then we kind of, as Australians or, you know, as Americans, wherever you are listening from the world, we push our ideas of how it's supposed to be onto that team member. So I wonder, you know, how does, I guess, one go about discovering what those things are? Is it just a time thing? Is it like, is there things you can do? I suppose if you're active listening and you're, you're trying to build trust, those things happen automatically, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Hmm. I guess uh, like, there's a like, concept, um, cultural competency for leader, which is very important. Uh, talking about Australia, I'm pretty sure quite a few countries are very similar. Let's say in Australia, um, Australia by judging by Australian Bureau of Statistics, 30% of Australians are born overseas, not actually so it's a wow. fairly large percentage. So more likely than not, uh, leaders will come across people from different culture, even if they're, uh, if they're born here, if they grow up in a sort of environment exposing Their different culture. Yeah, mm. So that kind of needs to ta be taken into consideration. I guess it's up to leaders then to, to be more proactive and to, to understand the, the, the culture and, and some norms that are uh, um, like suitable or, or work well in a particular environment. Let's say 
uh, way back, but of my experience that in some cultures, for example, eye contact, let's say in most of Western societies, what you it's a kind of admired what you're supposed to do, it's a show of respect and that you're listening, etc. In some cultural, that's rude. Wow. And kind of like you know, and and I didn't know that like you know we one of like you know one of uh, my team members they kind of like why and uh, avoid eye contact and uh, and I thought they shine or whatever that might be but like it's a sign of respect and it's nothing to do kind of with like a shyness or anything it is like you don't look a person and like directly in the eye all the time so it's a kind what of, country was this. Um, well, I, I think it is Singapore, like that's what I have in some Asian countries. Wow. Um, um, they obviously, when I say Asian countries, there are so many different cultures. I can't put every, everyone in one umbrella. Even yeah. in Singapore, uh, you have different uh, people from different backgrounds so, uh, as well. Um, but, yeah, this particular person was originally from Singapore, and I can't, that was very uh, sort of eye-opening for me to kind of like, you know, I was just sort of didn't know what's happening. We just show like small things like that that we don't pay attention to. We assume something different and based on our cultural bringing where for that person might be quite different experience. And sort of not understanding uh, sort of where each person is coming from it could create sort of that lack of communication, perhaps lose that trust or whatever that might be. And it's kind of like a long, uh, I suppose, answer to your question. Uh, leaders need really, they can't wait and I think how I'm going to find out. They Obviously, they can find out from person if they're happy to share. But there, there's so much information out, out there that, we need to understand, like, you know, well, I got a team member from, um, I suppose, uh, Tunisia, for example. I don't know why Tunisia, but let's say, and what do I know about that culture? How they perceive, what's their work environment? What they are, what they, so, uh, um, uh, what they find like a professional manners, some professional manners are different. Let's say, um, I'm not sure if you observe, let's say if you go in some, um, uh, some East Asia countries like Japan or some other countries, when you hand, uh, it's a simple thing, and when you had your business card, you had it with two hands, not with one. Um, so in, in a Japanese culture, even if you have a business meeting, you meant to be, bring present. Kind of like it's a small things like that. It sounds like sometimes, okay, well, why would you bring a present? But it's not about me. Like you need to see how, how that resonates with other people. So, yeah, spending time and understanding other cultures is so important. Yeah, put simply, it's not that hard to find. Like you just type in YouTube, like what are some cultural differences between this country and this country? So it's pretty easy to do uh, that. Yeah, yeah, it's put on very easy. Like you don't need to spend 10 minutes and, or even five minutes, you can find that information. Precisely. Now, um, I wanted to ask something uh, a bit different. So for uh, millennials coming up in the workspace and I guess, you know, seeing figures like, um, let's just use an example, like say Elon Musk or like Steve Jobs. And I've asked this question before, but I'm very curious because I've read both the biographies of those two people, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, and, you know, that kind of cohort of people. And 
the general consensus is that they were they're very like I wouldn't say abusive because that's not the right word. They're very they're they're everything the opposite of what you're saying. They're not they're not uh servant they're not servants to their staff. They're not they're inspiring, that's for sure. They're definitely inspiring. Um they're not about autonomy, like they just like get the job done. They're not trying to build trust. They just as far as my experiences of what I read in those books, like yelling at their staff and pushing them to work more hours, like that kind of stuff. Why, you know, why is that working for them? And is it working for them? And I understand it's very complex and there's so many parts to it, but I'd love to expand on that if you're able to. Very, very interesting question. I guess that there are a lot more, uh, I suppose we, we hear about them, but there are a lot more leaders who are actually more attentive to it. We sometimes don't hear about them because they're not as um, uh, perhaps were newsworthy because it seems that we like to hear something a little bit more controversial. Let's have a meeting, like, yeah, hear about Elon Musk and Twitter, something controversial. So we read about it, but we don't hear about like how many companies are very successful around the world. They're very successful, so um, and, and and how they operate and how they do. Uh, so, I guess we're still having, and and I I can't, I can't imagine that we're not going to have leaders who are more uh, kind of my way or highway. It's kind of not understanding others. Um, um, but there are a lot more leaders who are completely on a different like a different scale, and. Um, and sometimes people, um, well, I, I don't know either of them, sort of I only got sort of uh, like information what I read. Sometimes it's just lack of self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Yeah, I think the the key takeaway there that I'm extracting and I think that everyone should, should really take on board is like it's always context dependent and complexity yeah. exists for a reason, right? Well, it doesn't exist for a reason, it just exists. But um, with these guys, I think that you have to look at you know, who are they hiring to counteract those people? Like, are they maybe hiring? Like, is it that they just that way towards their general like executives? And if they are, like, maybe they have different relationship that we don't know about. So there's so many things. It's just interesting to me because, um, you know, a lot of people will read that and be like, I need to be like a like ruthless or I need to be like like that. Um, mm. So I think context is very important. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I guess like a little what like Twitter is primary example. I think we as society changed quite. Um, quite a bit after the pandemic, it, it was almost like resetting point that people really started thinking and examining and perhaps because maybe we didn't have much to do, we were locked in our houses short to long ter term or just not associating with people as much, kind of rethink what that means. And perhaps the Apple way started, at, like, you know, perhaps it wouldn't work like nowadays. So people might respond differently, and we live be more socially aware of the impact that anything that we do or not do having a people. I mean, look at the current uh, CEO Tim Cook. It's quite different to uh, sort of massively. Uh, yeah. So perhaps, like you know, uh, that's sometimes what, what happens with with the leaders as well, and people were starting businesses. You kind of get in touch to your vision, your baby that you develop, and sometimes it's just not easy to let it go. 
And like that might be with Elon Musk, and you know, like they spent time and energy, and it took a risk to develop in that area. And sometimes that's not as easy to let it go. Um, but we kind of, I think it's interesting point, like you know, learning how to let it go for leaders is so important. Mm, I love that. And what are you working on at the moment that you're really passionate about? Uh, passionate about leadership, obviously. <laughs> so leadership and coaching. So, uh, so my current business is in a coaching centre. So I work with it with executive and and, and then leader leaders um, uh, in organisations. And uh, um, I I do believe that coaching can change can make huge impact on 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 the world directly or indirectly. Leaders are wanted to. Uh, lead the change and make a difference, do transformation. And if they have, I suppose, someone on their side uh, as, a, as a guide, uh, as a um, reflection point, uh, confident and cyberspace as, as a coach to support them on that, their journey, um, I think they can do even better. So, so yeah, my passion is coaching and coaching in leadership space to, I suppose, make difference from that perspective you affect one person not in a bad way as a coach but um, uh, i've been seeing time and time again how much impact leaders uh, uh, have on people around them and once they become more i suppose emotional intelligence and better leaders the response that they have with people around them so uh, that's where my passion is so i really uh, I guess promoting coaching uh, in, in a leadership space, and and every leader that I work with, I I try to teach them some of the coaching skills to change the conversation. And uh, I suppose uh, reverting back to the start of our conversation and building that self-efficacy and motivation and asking questions rather than providing answers all the time. And who should come and see you? And where can they find you? Uh, yes, uh, uh, so they can find uh, on coachingcenter.com.au um, uh, or LinkedIn is quite a good place to go. I'm quite active in that space, so uh, people can, can find me there and connect there. I'm always open for conversation. So anyone that has anything to share or interested in leadership or coaching, uh, always happy to have a conversation. So, yeah, either on LinkedIn or or, or or, or my website. Awesome. Slavin, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you being here.